welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of the Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, we're going to be talking about divorce and specifically divorce after the age of 40, you know, and uh, what sort of specific, I suppose, implications that has on people. And my guest for today is Luke Shillings. He's a returning guest and he's really knowledgeable around this topic. So welcome, Luke. Hello, Lynn. Nice to be back. It is lovely to have you back as well. And previously, we talked about betrayal and infidelity. And uh, I think for those listeners that didn't hear the previous episode, perhaps you could just speak a little bit about recapping on what led to you going through a divorce initially, and then we can get drilled down onto, you know, the pros and cons and the adversities around managing that particular scenario in people's lives in a better way from lessons that you've probably learned yeah absolutely okay so yeah just a, as a, a brief recap of, of of my story as 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 summarized as i as i can do um i was married for eight years um two children house followed the western society's expectations of how you should live an adult life in many ways shapes and forms and i believed i was happily married I really quite enjoyed being married. I loved that role of being husband and father and family man and all of the things that that entailed. And then yeah, betrayal was uh, a part of my relationship. I was the betrayed partner. It was my it was my wife that had been unfaithful. This ultimately led to us separating and then divorcing. Um, me moving out of the family home and ultimately me being faced with uh, quite a different view on life um what i thought the future looked like no longer looked like that anymore and it meant really focusing in on a variety of things uh, but obviously paying lots of attention on how i wanted to parent and how i wanted to relate to my now ex-wife going forward to just make that whole transition in that period as easy as possible, which was easier said than done because, in all honesty, I wanted to just run off into the sunset. My my father lives on the other side of the world, and honestly, I think had there not have been kids and and other things involved, I may have done that. But but I am very glad that I didn't, and I don't believe that would have been the right solution. And yeah, so let's so go it, from there yeah so initially your your first impulse was to run as far away as possible by the sounds of it yes to some extent i think simply because i didn't want to you know when the, the pain is was so much i mean it, it, was, it was it was two or arguably even threefold there was the the betrayal of my wife there was the fact that the person that was um that, that she was having the affair with or had formed feelings for 
um, was also somebody that I was quite close to, somebody I knew quite well. So there's like that double betrayal. And then there was the divorce on top of that, uh, which that in and of, that in and of itself is, you know, a fa fairly significant thing in somebody's life. When I got married, I really did get married with the intention of remaining married. I'd actually spent most of my probably childhood in, in if I'm if I'm honest, certainly my throughout my teens and my early twenties, not wanting to get married, simply because I never wanted to get divorced, and that had all stemmed from the fact that. My my own parents separated when I was four years old, and my sister was only very young at the time as well. And although I still had a very good relationship with my dad, and I saw him you know, fairly regularly, that did reduce over the years. And I, I often felt that saying goodbye to him every week or every two weeks or whatever the time period was just gradually got harder and harder and harder. And that was something I really struggled with, you know, certainly as a young teenage boy you know, growing, going through puberty and just learning all the things that you do at that part in life. I'm, and I probably rebelled in a few ways, you know, on reflection. So because of that experience, I I kind of tied that directly with divorce. Um, I wasn't really fully understanding of the, the exact dynamics as to why the, the their marriage had broken down at the time. And, and exactly what happened, I just associated the whole thing with with divorced parents so i figured that if i didn't get married then that would kind of solve the problem of not ever needing to get divorced you know? <laughs> but of course then i met my wife and well things change <laughs> yeah absolutely so for you um was it you yourself that initiated the divorce or was it your wife so once the betrayal had been you know sort of like uncovered so to speak and we we were speaking about it i'd wanted to stay in the marriage that was my primary primary objective uh, but i'd put a couple of boundaries in place in terms of what would be necessary it wasn't just a case of taking her back regardless even if that had been an option it was more a case of if we were going to move forward it it wanted to be because I wanted her to want me, if that makes sense. Yeah, not absolutely. just because it was not just because it was the easiest thing, not just because of money, not just because of the kids, not just because of logistics and school and work and all of the myriad of other things that that become intertwined when you've been with somebody for a long time. I really wanted it to be that core core reason. And of course I also, you know, was pretty clear on the fact that if if we did move forward in that direction that the affair partner would need to be out of the equation. You know, um, it didn't mean I wasn't open to understanding that there would be a healing period for that. I know that feelings can't just be turned off, but for us to move forward together, he he couldn't really be in the picture anymore. And anyway, long long story short, that wasn't something that she was able to to come to during that time. So, for my own sanity safety well-being um and for everybody involved you know we were still living together at that point it was it was quite a tense time um yeah i suppose i suppose it was a collective decision but but it was brought on by me in the sense that i think if i hadn't done i don't know how long that sort of like stalemate period would have lasted so i felt like yes arguably i did make the decision um to to head down the route of divorce or at least at least the separation to begin with and then i brought the divorce into the equation because i think it was really because of the fact that there was somebody else involved 
what I didn't want to do was to move out of the family home and, you know, and then, for example, if I wasn't able to maintain a, an amicable relationship with my ex-wife for whatever reason and things got awkward and then and, and things, you know, worst case scenario, things went through the courts or anything like that, I didn't want it to look like I just, you know, run away and you know abandoned my responsibilities i didn't want this that to be able to be to look that way from certainly from a financial perspective amongst other things so one of the things i wanted to get clear was that we were very clear on what the parenting arrangement was going to be in terms of how we spent time with the kids um what responsibilities we were still going to take on as joint parents you know things like decisions about their school and their health and, and a variety of things like that but also to make sure that we were clear ourselves in terms in terms of finances, because obviously finances still were a factor. You know, if I was going to move out of the family home, there had to be some, you know, balancing of things there. And really what it what it when it came down to it, the only real way to to ensure that was fair and agreed and we could move past it was through the divorce process, because at the time, you know, it was needing that financial agreement that you get as part of the divorce process or as necessary for it to be able to just say very clearly well this is me this is her and that's all there is to it that's that bit out of the way with let's just deal with what we've got going forward so i think that was why it was kind of accelerated a little mm -hmm. bit um it's again hindsight's a wonderful thing and you know you never you never really know how you'd have reacted in a different situation but but that's the situation i had and that's that's how i responded so did you initiate and and actually do the administration yourself or were solicitors involved yeah so i i'm quite organized i'm definitely a problem solver i am very solution focused in the way that i my mind works generally speaking don't get me wrong it has its faults but i think once there was that clarity of this is what we're doing even though this is not what i wanted it was i've still accepted it as being that's what we were doing and i was then able to work through that process quite rationally and logically you know at least slightly separately from the the emotion that was involved so the first thing i did actually was to yeah to sort of draw up what i thought was fair in all of the areas so when it came to living arrangements looking at all the options as well not so it wasn't really just about opinions like what are the options do does she move out of the home and i stay with the kids do i move out of the home and she stay with the kids do we both do we sell the house and both try and figure out something separately but uplift the kids lives you know what what all the, what were all these options what were the pros what were the cons you know and i sort of went through that myself and then i hadn't reacted in a, a particularly excessively bad way i don't think um you know to the to the news of the situation um I think in part because I'm generally quite calm natured, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't get upset and angry, <laughs> but I don't think I really did anything that I truly regretted, you know, other than the odd statement here and there, of course, but nothing, nothing significant. Um, and the kids were a priority. There's no doubt about that. So I, I, I drew up a bit of a plan like, well, this is what I think it could look like, you know, in terms of like childcare arrangement, this is what, finances could look like this is what living arrangements could look like this is what our parenting schedule could look like and then we we did actually sort of speak about it and you know it was there wasn't too much disagreement there was a couple of things to begin with that we had to sort of balance around but generally speaking it wasn't a it was relatively easy compared to what i've witnessed some other people go through and and i think part of that was just 
you know, me not making it all about me, you know, which is very tempting to do in that situation. Yes. I was the one that had been betrayed. I was the one that had been hurt, you know, and that's not how I really, really wanted to proceed. So we did that. And then, um, and then, yes, I, I technically filed for divorce and I, I went through the solicitors. Um, but again, that process was made very easy because essentially, you know, I would get a letter from the solicitors saying that, you know, this needs signing. I mean, the, the, the divorce law has changed now since we got divorced. And it's now no fault divorce, no no matter what. So it's, it's a lot easier, I suppose. I mean, that comes with its own questions. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was the only way to get divorced was in, within, you know, immediately was if there'd been um, uh, unreasonable circumstances or I forget the exact terminology. Um, so that meant her signing to agree that, these things had happened and you know she came feelings for somebody outside of the of the primary relationship but like i say i would get the correspondence from the from the solicitor you know i would nip over to her house after i picked up the kids from school one day would have a cup of coffee sign the paperwork and send it back to the solicitors so like from that perspective it was all very easy so it meant that the divorce actually happened pretty quickly uh, or sort of as quick as it probably could at, at, in that time period, which I think was probably about five months from, from start to finish. Wow, that's pretty efficient. Yeah. And yeah. do you think there's, during that process, that anything you would now, in hindsight, have done differently? I have thought about this a few times. I don't know. I think... I think given the circumstances, I think I probably would have done it the same. I think it was important to get that um, protection, if you like, in place, particularly from a financial standpoint, just to clarify, you know, neither of us wanted to be in a position where one of us won the lottery and all of a sudden had to give half of it to the other person six yeah. months later, you know, and, mm. you know, we're, we're both quite realistic about that, although as unlikely as that was. Um, and although we did both value our marriage, of course, you know, in, we also recognised as well that if we were still in a position where we cared for each other, or you know, it didn't it didn't stop us loving and caring for each other as individuals. We both still was, despite the the incident, if you like, in itself, it's not like we hated each other, and no. there was never that sort of. So, so I think it just seemed like the most natural thing to do. I suppose. In the only thing that that probably does leave me to feel potentially a little bit hesitant is because as the years have gone by, you know, our situation has changed and we've ended up being back together, although in very different sort of circumstances. Um, arguably, there's like from an emotional perspective, there was that that rush to get through it where maybe maybe some hesitation might have been better but i don't think it made that much difference in all honesty so no I, I think i feel pretty happy that even if i knew what i knew now i would probably do the same thing and so how long after the divorce did you actually um get back together so to speak yeah so it probably i think she remained in a relationship for about a year and then it was probably about another two years after that Yes, yeah, wow. so divorced for about probably about divorced for about two and a half years or a little bit more, maybe. Um, yeah. And obviously, come back together as 
very much, I suppose, healed and so much, I suppose, learning is what the word having taken place. So you're not the people you once were that are now dating again. Yeah, that's very, very true. I mean, I mean, obviously, there's some, there are some advantages, of course, of the fact that we happen to have the same children, and you know, we do have history, and we've got mem- shared memories, and there's all those things. But when we did come back together, we still had those same kind of guidelines for each other this time. So to begin with, it was really, it was very important to me that if she wanted to be in the relationship, it needed to be for the right reasons. But then when it came for, to sort of come back to consider, you know, dating again, if you like. Um, it was actually a bit more even on both sides. You know, we both wanted to be sure that we both wanted the same things and that we were both happy with the situation and the the living arrangements and, you know, how we moved forward ultimately. So that that was definitely different. Of course, we both had changed in that period of time. We've both been impacted by the experience itself, of course. You know, that does change you in some some way, shape and form. It also allows you to see the other person in a different light, excuse me, in, in, in ways that you perhaps hadn't really thought were possible, maybe. Certainly that was true for me. I, I don't think I'd ever really believed. I always knew that, you know, betrayal exists and it happens in relationships and I knew it was technically a possibility. I just never imagined that she would actually do that. And I think that's true for, for many people, of course, when, when an affair happens. Um, and... So, of course, that had had an impact. But then she also went on her own journey. And I've been on my journey without doubt. And mine's been quite a deep journey in a, in a variety of ways. And I've used my experience to to help others as well, which is both empowering and rewarding and um, and and also quite. It's like a continual reminder of why the work I do is so important, because I see the changes in the people that I work with. I'm able to reflect back on the earlier version of myself. I'm able, often able to see the earlier version of myself in many of my clients when I first meet them, you know, particularly ones who are in fairly similar situations, particularly if it's, mm. I mean, I, I work with both men and women, but sometimes when the, there are certain men that happen to be, you know, similar age, similar sort of kids, you know, similar sort of, you know, not exactly, but similar. And, and it is a little bit like looking back at me from five years ago and seeing the world from that perspective. So that that's very rewarding um, and yeah, and, and and quite quite powerful. I think it's really important. So the growth has made a has been a big factor. And when we've come back together, we've come back as almost like a, a completely new relationship, or or not as different people, but certainly as evolved people. Yeah. And what do you think you've learned from going through that experience specifically, Luke? Well, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, I've learned a lot about my desire to control. I I don't mean I was a controlling husband. I don't mean it in that sense, but like just generally speaking, always wanting to know how things are going to turn out, always wanting to know the outcome for any given situation, you know, trying to, you know, um, probably people please a lot you know would often say things in the hope that that would they would maybe do something that would make them feel better which would then make me feel better and and ultimately really handing all of my emotions and my experience over to other people you know and i didn't really realize i was doing that all my life i didn't really realize that me trying to make somebody feel better just to make me feel better or maybe to try and stop them from feeling 
you know, sad or upset or angry just to make me feel better was really me just giving them all the power. It was a bit mm-hmm. like them giving them the remote control to my emotions because the problem being that if they didn't respond in the way that I was hoping they would, then I would feel all the feelings. And it was like, it was almost like they had a remote control pressing, you know, get angry, get sad, get get, get frustrated, get everything, you know. And so really realizing that my complete emotional experience is, is con- in con- you know, it's within my own control and learning, like really learning that it's my thinking that's creating my feelings made a massive difference and being able to. And I think to an extent, I half understood that, but having that like sort of clear link between those two things was really important. Most people go through the world believing that it's the circumstances, it's the events that happen, it's the situations, it's the it's the things that your mother-in-law says, it's the the latest news or the the latest political thing it's the you know it's covid it's the what you see on social media it's your whether you've got a pay rise or not it's you know all of these external things people are associating them directly with how they feel but it's not that's just not true there's a missing link between those two things and that's our interpretation of those things multiple people can look at the same situation and view it in very different ways so if we can accept that lots of people can look at the same situation in a different way, then we can maybe start to recognize that actually that means there are other ways in which we can look at it too. And if the way that we're currently looking at it is leading us to feel angry and bitter and resentful, it's like, well, how are you going to show up in the world if you are coming from that place of anger and bitterness and resentment? Well, you're probably going to do things that you're either going to later regret, you're probably going to react, you're going to send a passive aggressive text message, you're going to say things that you can't take back, you're going to make rash decisions, you're going to go and put a brick through the affair partner's window or, you know, whatever, whatever the the, the thing is. But when it's coming from that place, it, it never leads anywhere positive. So if we can look at the same situation through a different lens and create a slightly better feeling, a more intentional feeling, then we tend to act more in line with our values. And then guess what? The things that happen in the world for us are better as well. They're more in line with what we actually want. And we don't have to carry this weight of of anger and resentment against all of the other things, all the other people. Now, people become very attached to that. They're very attached to allowing the news to dictate how they feel and allowing Mm. other people to dictate how they feel. I get it. But you're always going to be victim to that if that's how you continue to live your life. So just just start by exploring other ways of looking at things. And that's really been probably the most impactful thing for me. Absolutely. I 100% agree. So are you and uh, your wife, did you get remarried? No. So no, we are not remarried. Um, We don't live together either. But we are in as committed a relationship as we were beforehand. But our physical logistical situation is different we've retained pretty much exactly the same um routine with the children you know it's modified slightly but it's pretty much the same as it was um when we were you know in the in the divorced and separated um situation what it's really meant is that and this has been one of the well there's been there's been two really positive elements to it for me um, there's probably been more than two i'm sure but there's, there's two that sort of stand out one is it means that the time we spend together is so much more intentional. It's not just that being in that like, you know, ships in the night, the routine, the mundane, the day after day, the all of the things that life involves. I'm not saying that none of that exists. I still help out a lot when I go around and we still 
obviously there's lots of still things that we do link together, but having that really intentional, like one-to-one time, even if it's not as often, is so much more beneficial. And obviously we still communicate every day and we, we FaceTime and telephone call or whatever, you know, uh, but virtually every day, not always, but certainly quite often. So it's not like we're ever long, long periods of time without contact. Uh, and then we see each other multiple times per week when, when I'm, cause I go and pick the kids up from school and, and all those things. Anyway, I don't need to go into too much detail, but it just really focuses on that intentional time. And the same is with the kids as well. The time with the kids is more intentional. The other side has been my own free time. I, I've always been somebody who quite likes time on my own anyway. That's something I've always valued. And particularly as I've been building my business over the last few years, it's really given me that freedom to do that in, in a way that I haven't got two kids running around the room once, you know, or you know, trying to juggle those things. So it's, it's given us both our independent time. It's given us both our intentional together time. And it's given us both time as a family and it's given us both independent time with the kids. So it's like it's ticked all of the boxes in a lot of ways, in a way that I'd probably never imagined was possible. You know, I never, ever foresaw this as being a way that I would live my life. Yeah, it's 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 still surprising, and I like it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fabulous. I think it sounds, you know, the ideal way, actually, to, to con- <laughs> conduct maybe the, the, the future of our relationships and... Um... You know, maybe this is the way forward in terms of how modern relationships should look and work in terms of it, keeping it healthier. It certainly, ha- it certainly has its benefits. It certainly has its benefits. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you cope with? Um, I suppose, I suppose, I want you to be hand on heart here and be hundred percent honest. Do you have any fear about that situation repeating itself? I mean, has it closed your heart up a little bit? Having been through that experience, or have you been completely able to heal that and uh, be totally open and vulnerable in the relationship again? Yeah, so it's it's a good question, and obviously it's a question I've asked myself many times, certainly in the early days, even before we'd considered getting back together. Just that, because it wasn't just about whether I could trust her again; it's could I trust anybody again? And you know, it doesn't get you don't get too far down that line before you realize it's not even really about your trust in other people. It's about your trust in your own judgment. So that was the journey I went on. It was recognizing, do I trust my own judgment? And should I trust my own judgment like all the time? Should I always trust my own judgment? And you know, I ask that question to people often if I'm delivering a workshop or something and and people are like, yeah, well, yeah, of course you should. I'm like, well, is that always true? You know, should you trust yourself 100% to the point where you cannot consider the possibility that you might be wrong? Because if you do, then that's the expectation that you're setting for yourself. And if that falls short even by 0.1%, then it's basically a failure. And that gives you a lot of ammunition to beat yourself up and feel all the feelings and and feel at, uh, yeah, yeah, like a victim, at the consequence of of the of the event. So rebuilding that trust within myself and really understanding what that meant, what the relationship with trust within meant to me, well, that made a huge difference in terms of how I then took it out into the world. So if we think directly and responsible to to my partner, she's capable of having an affair. But anybody is capable of having an affair. I hope that she doesn't, of course. 
and I have boundaries in place should that occur. It's not something that I would continue to consider to be acceptable behavior. And that's, you know, and that's clear. But I can't control her, nor can I control anybody else. And I accept that the pleasure and the feeling of love and connection and fulfillment that I get from being within the relationship is more than worth the potential consequence of there being a problem in the relationship, whether that be through betrayal or any other thing. So, no, it doesn't make, I don't feel any different. I feel, I, I, I don't, I trust her as much as I ever have done. And, you know, I trusted her as much as I could have done before. And that trust was betrayed. And essentially, I kind of feel the same way. You know, it doesn't really change. And it's not like there'd been like a long repeated pattern of, betrayal in general you know she was always right. yeah, yeah. always considered a very honest person so i think it's i think that's imp an important point to make because you know we hear these statements like once a cheater always a cheater and they're not helpful and they're not always true in fact they're usually not true if somebody is showing a repeated pattern of behavior then the probability that they're going to do it again does increase of course so if for somebody who has cheated two or three times, then the likelihood of them cheating a third or fourth is definitely a lot higher. Yes. But basing it on one experience is, well, you know, if you were to be judged on every decision you ever made and there was no room for maneuver, then I don't know, you probably made more mistakes in your life than you realize. <laughs> that was true. Oh, well thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and uh, sharing your specific story and, um, how you've dealt with it and what you've learned from it. So for anybody that might be in a similar position, Luke, that would be interested in making a connection with you, what's your best form of contact? Yep. So the the, the two best methods, one is my website, which is lifecoachluke.com, or you can email me at luke at lifecoachluke.com, or my own podcast, After the Affair, where I talk about all of these things and a lot more. Thank you, Luke. And any final words of wisdom around this subject of going through divorce over 40? I think really it's just about getting the things you can control. And I probably said this on the last time, the last time we spoke, it's getting those things that you can control in view and separating the things that you cannot control. We spend a lot of time trying to change the things that we cannot change. And that usually involves other people and trying to change other people is a pretty challenging task. And actually, when we really think about it, we don't actually really want to change. We don't actually want to manipulate somebody just to make us feel better. Not really, you know, just particularly as somebody that we love and care about. So separating those two things out and being able to control on what you can control, which is your own lived experience, your feelings, your emotions, but also how you look at the world, how you look at the situation and how you want to act going forward. If you can do that, it will make all the difference in terms of how you navigate that journey. Wise words indeed, Luke. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation and uh, hopefully we can get on another episode and have another conversation in the future. Absolute pleasure. Thank you again, Lynn. So it just leaves me to say that true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's 
lyn at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.